the Institute for Healthcare Improvement's 21st National Forum in 2009, there was a group wholly committed to improving the quality of healthcare. Dr. Don Berwick challenged all of us with a very thought-provoking question. What healthcare do you want? We discussed it among ourselves, and then he asked us again, no, really, what healthcare do you want? And after giving us several opportunities to answer, he guided us to the real answer. Probably none of us wanted any healthcare at all. What we really wanted was health. He wanted us all to really understand the gap between what we worked on so hard every day to provide and what people really wanted from their healthcare. So along a similar vein, I'm gonna ask you a question. When you do need healthcare, do you want high quality healthcare or poor healthcare? Now I know that question really doesn't drive any of us too deeply. Obviously we'd want the high quality healthcare when we need it, but here's where I'm going today. How do you know the healthcare that you're receiving or providing is high quality? How do we actually measure the quality of healthcare? Perhaps we look at the outcomes, the health of the people receiving the healthcare, or maybe we should measure how much better the health is before and after the healthcare. But of course, the problem with that is it doesn't really take into account how sick the people were who came to get healthcare to begin with. How do we measure how healthy someone is? Do we just measure how many awards the facility has won? How many accreditations they've gotten? Do we measure the processes of healthcare, adherence to guidelines, how pleasant it is, how free from fear my experience is? What do we measure? Healthcare has never been scrutinized so carefully as it has been recently. There are literally hundreds of measures, certifications, awards, best of, you can fill in the blank. But what do these mean? How do they really relate to quality? You can find some healthcare organizations that display big, bold banners on their side saying best hospital, blah, blah, blah. But on their public websites, they might earn very poor patient safety ratings. You can find celebrated academic centers listed on the very front ranks of US News and World Report, but in the middle of the pack when it comes to Medicare quality ratings. It's all rather confusing. Mayo Clinic is increasingly asked to evaluate and assist healthcare centers across the globe to improve their quality. But how do we know what their current quality is or where their greatest opportunity for improvement is? How do we really make sense of it all? Welcome to Key into Quality, a Mayo Clinic podcast focusing on healthcare quality, experience, and affordability trends and solutions. This podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps towards understanding and improving quality challenges in your organization. Thanks a lot for joining us. I'm Dr. Tim Morgenthaler, a professor of medicine here at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine, and I'm the vice chair of Mayo Clinic Quality and Affordability. Co-hosting today's conversation is Sherry Nemec. Sherry? Greetings to everyone joining us today. I'm Sherry Nemec, the Consultation Relationship Manager for Quality at Mayo Clinic. Dr. Morgenthaler, you know, this is a topic that I know we have had countless hours of discussion within our quality teams at Mayo Clinic. And we all agree that measuring quality effectively is extremely important. And as a patient myself, you know, with some choice about where to get healthcare, knowing the quality of healthcare certainly does influence where I choose to receive that care. Yeah, I mean, it really is a confusing topic and extremely important. To help us learn more, today we're joined by Dr. Ben Pollack. He's an assistant professor of health services research at Mayo Clinic and an endowed scientific director of Mayo Clinic Science of Quality Measurement Program in the Robert D. and Patricia E. Kern Center for the Science of Healthcare Delivery. His research interests combine risk-adjusted hospital quality outcomes, COVID-19 analytics, health services research, 
and particularly the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on hospital quality outcomes. He's really kind of a quality measurement nerd, and I love nerds. So Dr. Pollack has authored more than 50 peer-reviewed articles and has been featured on Good Morning America for his work. I just can't tell you how glad I am to welcome Ben. Ben, looking forward to hear from you about measuring quality in healthcare. Dr. Morgenthaler, and thanks, Sherry, for having me on here. I like the compliment of nerd in, in my family. That's definitely a compliment and not an insult. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Ben, I wonder if you could just tell us, you know, how did you first get interested in this particular problem of measuring quality? And how did you begin to kind of figure out how to deal with it? Sure. So I guess started about five years ago, prior to my time at Mayo, um, I was working in risk-adjusted outcomes of cardiovascular surgeries at a health system in Texas. That skill set for risk prediction and risk adjustment turns out to translate pretty well into the science of quality measurement, which I didn't necessarily know at the time. Uh, but there was an opening at Mayo for this role where they wanted someone who could build up the real-time risk-adjusted quality measures from our electronic health record. And so I just remember talking to them in the interview and I was like, you guys are number one in U.S. News and World Report. It seems like you've got it all figured out. And so then what I learned from that was a lot of these external quality rankings and ratings programs or stakeholders like U.S. News, the CMS star ratings, even though a lot of hospitals perform well in that, we're all kind of hampered by the data lagging, you know, up to five years in some cases. And so I learned that it was a really exciting risk adjustment problem for hospitals to be able to use their own claims data. When I talk about risk adjustment, the idea is like one hospital could be an orange, one hospital could be an apple in terms of the patients they see, you know, one might do a lot of neurosurgery, one might be like a community health system. But so the risk adjustment takes it and makes an apple-like fruit versus another apple-like fruit. And so that's always been very interesting to me is like, how do we compare things that on their surface aren't super easy to compare? Yeah. So making sure that we're, as you say, comparing apples to apples instead of apples to oranges is uh, critically important in all this. And the timeliness too, because you're right, the publicly reported measures are often pretty far in our rearview mirror. And while they're important in understanding how an organization has performed, they may not tell us what should we be working on right now. Is that where you've landed on that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And so especially for some of the federal pay for performance programs, when you're thinking about from a quality leadership perspective, where do you want to set your priorities for the year? Well, you might have been penalized for readmissions this year, but really that data is from like 2019 or 2020. And so do you want to set your 2023 priorities to improve heart failure readmissions when maybe in 21 and 22, you had a perfect year and there's something else that's already trending downward that you need to get ahead of? Yeah, kind of a complex problem because you need to find more current data and then figure out what to do with it. I mean, how did you get started to organize this work and how did the team start to form or what's your team look like? We have a really good, like, I don't know what you'd call it at other hospitals, but like enterprise quality department or leadership admin group, and then the quality improvement staff and all of that. I knew a lot about risk adjustment, but I didn't really know a whole lot about the CMS star ratings or 30 day readmissions or 30 day mortality. Really to get started, I just got all the source documents I could from our, our quality teams, like US News methodology, PDF, the CMS, the 30-day mortality and readmission specifications are like 200 or 300 page PDFs. And so we had a lot of great people who already knew those methodologies and you know which patients are included. You know, There's a heart failure cohort, there's a stroke cohort. And then from there, just being able to meet with the team in IT and some of our statisticians like, okay, we have Epic. How do I go into Epic and get that data and start building some of these measures? So our team, I guess what it looks like, our science of quality measurement program 
is anywhere from 10 to 20 people, depending on the day. And it's really that blend of skill sets that's made it all possible with uh, subject matter experts who could tell you exactly what PSI 3 is and you know what the denominator for that rate is. And then the statisticians who can help out with risk adjustment. IT tells us where these fields are, where these tables lie in our unified data platform. It's a really a collaborative blend with our enterprise quality and then the Kern Center group that I'm a part of. So you've got this big team, Ben, that you've come into Mayo now and you're trying to leverage all of these experts. What were some of the biggest challenges that you found when you really started to dig into the work? Yeah, so there were a couple of big challenges. The first one that we ran into and that we're still working on now is uh, the data infrastructure. We have something that we call the Mayo Clinic Value Index or Composite Hospital Quality Index. It includes LeapFrog, the CMS star ratings, US News, HCAPS. When you look at the individual measures that go into that, there's something like 200 or 250 individual measures. And so our team was tasked with building all of those out of the EHR. And just to give you an example, when we started building like the US News 30-day mortality measures, so that alone was 12 giant Excel data sets that we had to refresh manually once a week. It took one of our analysts basically eight hours of laptop time to spit out 12 files. Those 12 files fed into our Tableau dashboards. We kind of quickly realized, okay, we knocked out 12 out of 250 measures and it's already taken up a whole day. So we started building a quality data platform of curated specialized marts within our data and IT infrastructure to be able to handle that. So that, that's obviously the, the big challenge that comes to mind. I guess the other big challenge is the frequency of methodology changes. So we follow a lot of these ranking and rating stakeholders because generally they have their pros and cons, things that we find more valuable in some like patient safety measurement. We have HCAPS, with it, which is patient experience, but they all change their methodologies annually or maybe even more frequently. And so as we're building to understand how we're going to perform in some of these programs, we also might be building something that might be irrelevant next year or New methodologies are always coming along for health equity and things like that. It's helpful for tracking our internal progress, but when we look at it externally, it's a double challenge with the data lag and then the methodology changes to keep up. Ben, a lot of what you've described so far is aggregating existing measures for quality and learning how to do them or understand them better. Maybe I could put it that way, better than than we would without the work of your team. You know, I wonder, as you just were talking and some of these measures, their sort of definitions or criteria get changed, uh, presumably they're being changed because they've learned how to do something better. But, you know, as you look at the whole sea of quality measures there, I have to imagine you're starting to get some ideas about well, what are some better ways to measure quality than relying on these external definitions? What kind of things have you and your team been coming up with? Yeah, that's a really good question. So that our science of quality measurement program, uh, which I direct, is probably starting its third year. And that's really the evolution of where we intend to go with the program. So the first couple of years is just understanding existing measures, showing the proof of concept that we can build these from the EHR for internal trending. But then once we have that quality data platform, we can do all sorts of predictive or different types of analysis and communicate with external stakeholders. One of the big ones is value. So we just published a paper uh, proposing a new value measure that looks at what is the cost of preventing one excess mortality at your hospital for a certain procedure compared to hospitals nationally. And so things like that value, health equity, we want to become the experts at, we have this big data set uh, with you know curated quality data. We can analyze it however we want. We have our Mayo Clinic uh, practice, which is uh, obviously leading physicians who know what they're looking at in the clinic and what we should be measuring. And so partnering you know quality with the practice and trying to start measuring things that are more useful for our, our practice. 
you mentioned in all of that uh, communicating with the practice and practice leaders here at Mayo Clinic. I mean, you're obviously putting together a, a first-rate academic program to think about quality, but you're also working next door to our practice here. Talk a little bit about what have been the challenges communicating with physicians and physician leaders and things like that when it relates to quality metrics. There are both challenges and easy wins and successes. So the, the challenges are usually just the data literacy. Not that our clinicians don't know how to interpret data, but more like the quality methodology literacy. So like explaining to them that our U.S. News cancer 30-day mortality is based only on Medicare fee-for-service patients over the age of 65 in specific DRGs, whereas they might rightfully view any cancer patient that comes across their desk or is in the hospital. They're like, I do very well on these cancer patients. I see a thousand cancer patients a year. Why does US News or CMS stars say my volume is 10 or 15? So just explaining to them like all the nuances of how we're rated and ranked externally. And then it, it sort of becomes like that, the don't shoot the messenger thing. Like we're not making these methodologies. We're explaining to you our performance on um, the ones that we're currently judged on. You're the Cracker Jack decoder ring. Yeah, for the most part, yeah. I would say the flip side of that is the opportunities it presents. So a good example recently is in the past couple of years, the Loud Institute has started a hospitals index. Several of the measures that they use look at overuse or appropriateness of certain procedures and conditions. And so US News picked up on that and they started using this spinal fusion overuse criteria. Our methodologists started breaking apart, You know, who are they actually looking at, what's considered overuse, we don't have any clinical expertise of whether or not the methodology is appropriate. So we partner with neurosurgery, orthopedics, and show them here's how we're being measured. And then they can look at those ICD-10 codes or whatever it is. And they actually helped us come up with a better set of criteria. We met with the Lown Institute and through like an iterative process with our practice, we actually led to a whole new definition. So that Lown Institute now uses for that measure. I think it was something like 9% of spinal fusions nationally were overuse. And now it's up to like 15% just because we changed a better definition of, of how it should be measured. That's that collaboration with the practice that I think is special about our program. Yeah, that's a really great example. So what about surprises along the way then? Have you had any? Surprises I touched on a little bit previously, how often the methodologies change and what new measures are thrown mm -hmm. at us. Uh, but also what I've just described with the Lown Institute, there's several examples where stakeholders, be it LeapFrog, CMS, my perspective coming in was that they are the experts of quality measurement and they're going to measure it with the best way they can. And we just have to play towards that in terms of what's important. What we've realized is that we clinicians, our quality staff all across the U.S. at hospitals, we have an expertise in knowing what should be measured. We understand you know, what makes good quality and bad quality. It's surprising when we go back to these stakeholders like Lown Institute, like U.S. News, and they agree with us and they're very open to feedback and they want to work with us to get the methodologies right. So I think it's surprising that it's not really like uh, they're judging us or looking over us type of relationship. It's like they want to measure quality to, so patients know where to go. And Mayo Clinic and others also want to measure quality so patients know where to go. And so that's been a, a refreshing surprise, I would say. Yeah, so there really is that opportunity to be able to influence that direction rather than just the, right. you know, here's what you have to do and that's it. You've been in this position for about three years and it's been really fun to watch this program develop. What would you say is the current state of your science of quality measurement program? And you know, what are your major projects that are on deck for this next year, let's say? Yeah, perfect. So the state of our program is it continues to grow and evolve. We've gone through the first pillar of the program, which was our quality data dashboards. We have all of those 200 quality measures up and running for the most part that, so that our practice and quality can see our current performance trended over time. 
We have our quality data platform almost nearly built so we can house those measures more effectively and do some predictive analytics. Um, so what we're heading towards now is more uh, specific help with the prioritization of current trending. So we're looking at things of, okay, looking at how we did just in this three month period on all 250 measures versus the prior 12 months, what are the top three or four that look to be trending the worst, standardizing it across that aspect. And then the other thing we really wanna do is in terms of advocacy, I don't know if influence is the right word, but um, assisting our external stakeholders. One thing that's been a pretty hot topic lately that we submitted a grant to hopefully study more and submitted several papers is looking at the effect of the COVID pandemic on quality. You are both well aware that over the past two or three years, CMS and others have been a little bit confused or not confused, but there's no evidence for whether or not they should include certain pandemic era data in COVID outcomes uh, reporting or not. Our perspective and the perspective of a recent JAMA article is uh, patients need better healthcare quality and that becomes more important during healthcare crises, not less important. And so the anecdote that we use is like, if you're a patient who needs a coronary bypass, do you wanna to go to the hospital that performed the best in 2019 or the hospital that performed the best for bypass in 2022? And so a lot of these stakeholders have been excluding certain periods of pandemic data, which we don't necessarily think is patient-centered or even methodologically appropriate. So we're hoping to have more advocacy and growth in, in that area, which is how to deal with quality measurement during the pandemic. So we're really fortunate at Mayo Clinic that we have you and your team of experts in Kern and people who are a whole lot smarter than I am that know all about the data and measures and all that. But if you were meeting with an organization that maybe didn't have all those resources available to them and they want to start working in this area, what kinds of recommendations would you give? I would say start small and, and pick a very focused set of quality measures that you think are most impactful for your patients and for your hospital. As I said, we've built dashboards and a data platform that are close to 200, 250 measures, but we had uh, the first set of 10 or 15 measures took three or four months. And then we went from there to, okay, now let's move to CMS 30-day readmissions and start building those. So whatever you think your top priorities are, or maybe what you'd like to improve based on whether it's patient experience or those sort of things, pick a few and start small and see what you can build from there. Also, probably number one is get IT involved. At a certain point, you're gonna need some IT resources and help with where to store that data once you've curated it or how to even access some of that claims data or sorry, EHR data in the first place. So uh, IT support is, is always helpful from the beginning. Yeah, the importance of collaborative partners in all of this work has certainly come through in all that you've shared today. Ben, I know that you've really has a large part of your area of interest, the effects of the COVID pandemic on healthcare outcomes, healthcare quality, and things like that. What do you think about the effects of the COVID pandemic? How are you, are your group measuring the effect that that's had on staff? Is that part of the area of, of inquiry for your group? Not as of now, and it needs to be. So one thing I just came across is IHI and others have started talking, uh, whereas I was thinking of like conceptualizing it as how did hospital quality change or react during the pandemic? I think the term that IHI and others are using is like health system resiliency. I was reading something, I think also in JAMA about health system resiliency, and there's four pillars and it's how did your COVID patients do during the pandemic? How did your non-COVID patients do during the pandemic? The third one was how did your staff do during the pandemic? And so that's not something that's involved in traditional quality measurement, uh, like staff happiness or staff engagement or staff burnout in terms of there's not really any measures for that, but you're right in that 
the quality, whether there were decreases in quality during the pandemic or uh, improvement in quality, that's basically all comes down to how well the staff was able to hold up. Did you, were you able to continue following your care pathways? Did you prioritize resources for readmission prevention or, or, or did you just never have enough nurses, didn't give discharge instructions and that sort of thing? It's definitely related and it, it's definitely understudied as well. Ben, we could have this conversation for a long time because I have so many questions I want to ask you, but I'm going to ask one more question and then I'm going to have to close it unless Sherry, you have another another question. But your work has been largely confined to, let's say, the United States quality data because you have access to that. Mm -hmm. What kind of inquiries or thoughts are you having as we start looking outside the United States? How do you see quality measurement developing on a more global scale? I think it's going to be very, very challenging. So I know Newsweek and, and some others have tried to make international hospital quality rankings. And right now they pretty much come down to 95 or 100% weight is online survey of physicians of different hospitals saying which hospitals internationally you think are the best. And so getting systems like we have Epic that we use quite frequently in the US. I know some of our international systems are on different EHRs. So getting all that data to talk to each other is a major challenge. I think one thing that places like Mayo Clinic or other hospitals or systems looking at international partnerships. I think the first step is assessing what data capabilities they have in terms of collecting some of this data. And then I think prior to benchmarking internationally, I think the, the best way to jumpstart that is probably give them a score based on whether or not they submit the data and are able to be measured. So a hospital that's performing absolute worst based on the data internationally compared to a hospital that doesn't even collect or submit that data internationally, I think the credit goes to the hospital that's building that infrastructure because that's what eventually will lead to improvement. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us today for this discussion. We're really glad that you could join us and we hope that the information provided is insightful and invaluable to our listeners. I'm sure it will be. Again, Mayo Clinic's Key into Quality podcast aims to help you take some of those first steps to address important quality challenges in your organization. The development of this podcast is part of our effort to be a valued resource to healthcare organizations striving to improve. Our goal is to improve quality for patients and the populations that we all serve. Please let others in your organization know about this podcast so the information can be spread and share your ideas about this podcast with us so we can continue to serve you and improve our podcasts. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.